So picture yourself in a uh, well-known spot in New York City called Times Square. Picture yourself surrounded by those large high-def uh, screens. Uh, behind you there is the uh, TKTS uh, book where you get the discount uh, Broadway tickets. Uh, there's this spot, famous spot, where the ball drops on uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, in the middle, there's a, another famous landmark, a man called the Naked Cowboy, uh, wearing a cowboy hat and white underwear. Uh, what's the name of this place you're standing? Well, your answer is, it's Times Square. But you could also say you're in Midtown. You could also say you are in Manhattan. You could also say you're in New York City. And that's the 21st century. Uh, what if you're standing in that same spot uh, that you would call Times Square in the 17th century? The place you were standing would be called New Amsterdam. And what if you were standing in Times Square in the 16th century? The place where you were standing, uh, where we were standing would have two names from uh, the Native Americans. It would be Manahata, where we get our word Manhattan, and those two Native American words mean future site of the naked cowboy. So uh, now my purpose here is just to show you how uh, one small geographical plot of land can have multiple names at the same time and different names over the course of history. And this is important to remember as we study a very exciting message from God's Word. So please turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah was a messenger who spoke God's Word to God's people about the coming of God's promise. God's promise was a person called the Messiah. So what we're about to read are words describing the coming of this promised person. And these are amazing words for many reasons. These words are amazing because in retrospect, they are perfect in their poetic description of a real, literal, historic person uh, born in Bethlehem. And these words are amazing because they were written over 700 years before the first Christmas. Think about that. Over 700 years. Our church, BlackRock, was started in 1849 before the Civil War. And it would be pretty amazing if at the start of BlackRock, 165 years ago, someone foretold that there would come a senior pastor who is handsome, who is a Cubs fan, and who is great at math. That would be amazing because I'm all four of those things. And uh, that's, that's, of course, not didn't really happen. We didn't have that foretelling. And that would only be 165 years. The Bible describes a Messiah in much more detail 700 years before the event. That there would come the birth of a special son. That this special son would be born of a virgin mother. That this son would be God himself. And that this God in the flesh person would operate out of a small geographical plot of land and then be pierced to death to pay for sins, be buried in a rich man's tomb, 
and then rise from the dead. And in the process, this person would illumine the whole world for all age to come. And this is all foretold in the pages of Isaiah. Let's turn to one of those pages and read, starting at the first verse of Isaiah chapter 9. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So in this prophecy, God announces what he's going to do at Christmas 700 years before Jesus was born. And you may say, wait a minute, are you sure that this prophecy in Isaiah refers to Jesus? Yes, I am sure. And so were the gospel writers, such as Matthew, where in chapter 4, verse 12, he writes, Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, fulfilling what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So, this prophecy begins with a reference to two regions called Zebulun and Naphtali. Thousands of years before Jesus was born, a man named Jacob had 12 sons. And these 12 sons became the heads of 12 families that became known as the tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. And during the days of Joshua, uh, these 12 tribes were each given a region of the promised land. Zebulun and Naphtali are the names of two of those tribes, and they were given a rather small, connected uh, plot of uh, geographic location, uh, far to the north in Israel, far away from Jerusalem. And 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah foretold that the promised one would begin his illuminating work not in Jerusalem, like most would assume, not in the temple area, but he would do his illuminating work beginning in Zebulun and Naphtali in the far north. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. But just like Times Square was named Manahata 400 years ago, about 700 years before the first Christmas, Nazareth and its region was called Zebulun. And don't miss the significance of the fact that since he was a child, Jesus couldn't have planned to grow up in Zebulun in fulfillment of this prophecy. But the fulfillment doesn't end there. Although Jesus began his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus then moved his, the center of his ministry 
a day's walk away in Capernaum, which is in the heart of the region, which was formerly called Naphtali, there along the Lake of Galilee. So Jesus' closest disciples came from Capernaum. Peter, James, John, and Andrew were all born and raised in the heart of the region that was called Naphtali. Jesus operated out of Galilee and these regions that were once called Zebulun and Naphtali in direct fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9. But I guess you could say that the most important part of this Isaiah uh, uh, prophecy is not where Jesus lived, but what Jesus did. God promises that his Savior would bring light to his people in darkness. Verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the shadow of death. A light has dawned. So, now let's go back to Isaiah 9 and ask, what does it mean that Jesus saves me from darkness? First, Jesus saves me from the darkness of religion. Properly defined, religion is man's search for God. Religion is man groping in the dark, trying to reach, trying to know God, and these man-made attempts always take the form of religious duties and rituals and religious ceremonies. And so if religion is humanity's search for God, then what God promises here in Isaiah chapter 9, His promised Savior saves us from religion. The Savior came to me. The Savior brings God's light to me. It's not about me trying to get to God. God came in Jesus at Christmas to shine light so that I could have a relationship with Him that's not based on my religious activities. So today, are you stumbling around in religion or are you enjoying a relationship with God in the light of Jesus? If instead of rejoicing as his approved child, you are driven by guilt feelings, then you are stumbling around in the dark of religion. If instead of rejoicing in total forgiveness, you are instead promising God that you're going to do better, then you're stumbling around in the dark of religion. If instead of rejoicing in a daily friendship with God, you are working at rules and regulations, trying to please God, then you are stumbling around in the dark of religion, and Jesus calls you into his light. God does not want a religion with me. God wants a relationship with me. And that's why the risen Jesus appeared to Paul and sent him out with this gospel light message in these words. I'm sending you, Paul, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Coming out of the darkness of religion 
into a brilliant relationship with God is why Jesus came at Christmas. Religion is about me trying to reach God, but Christmas is about God reaching down in His love and light in Jesus. But there's another kind of darkness that God promises to save me from, the darkness of death. Jesus saves me from the darkness of death. Again, we turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned on them. What does this word uh, death mean in this context? Well, on one level, it certainly refers to physical death and all our fears of its inevitability. But Isaiah is primarily referring to spiritual death. Now, what is spiritual death? Well, uh, everywhere in the Bible, spiritual death is defined as separation from God. This pattern is established in the very first page of the Bible where God tells Adam that uh, if he rebels against God and eats the forbidden fruit, he will surely die. We know that God was primarily referring to spiritual death because when Adam rebelled, Adam didn't die immediately in a physical sense. Instead, immediately and after his rebellion, he was separated from God. He was expelled from the Garden of Eden. Jesus came at Christmas to shine the light of salvation. Jesus came at Christmas to save me from the darkness, the spiritual death of separation from God and bring me back into the light of life as it was meant to be lived as in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came to give me life that's found only in a relationship with God. The Apostle Paul writes about this kind of life in Ephesians chapter 4 where he says, So I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the unbelievers do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated. Look at these words. Separated from the life of God. Isn't that interesting? Now, in these words that follow, Paul contrasts the futile life of separation from God and true life that is found only in a restored relationship with God. So through Paul, God says that the futile life of the dark is trying to pursue life by pursuing my sensual desires. The feudal life is making a personal Christmas list of desires for more money to buy a boat or a second home or more achievement or career success or more pleasure cruises or fancy vacations, more good food and entertainment. God says, trust me, your desires will never be satisfied. It is futile. It is futile to try to find life by pleasing yourself. True life can only be found in me, says God. You see, God came at Christmas to lead us out of the dark prison of futile death and lead us into a true life filled with purpose and joy and meaning. And this life 
to the fullest is not only just an earthly experience, but it's, it's an eternal life that begins now and then extends into the next life. Through Isaiah, God promised 700 years that Jesus, before Jesus came, that he would send a Savior who would bring light that saves us from the darkness of death in this life and the next. He is the promised Son who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And the, of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. He comes to shine this light of peace in your life, even peace over death itself, and leads you into life as He meant it to be lived. The question is, have you done this? Have you stepped out of the darkness and into the light of a relationship with God? I read a book uh, recently. It's a, an autobiography of an uh, Orthodox Jewish rabbi. Isidore Zern grew up in Manhattan and, uh, and at, in a strict home where he spent hours every day studying the Hebrew uh, Old Testament. And he and, his and he and his family followed all the kosher rules, kept all the Jewish rituals, devoted their lives uh, to the laws of Judaism. And uh, keeping the Jewish laws also meant keeping separate from the Gentiles and the Jesus that they followed. And Isidore was taught in his home that Jesus was the enemy and that his name could not be spoken in Isidore's home or in his synagogue or in any conversation. When Isidore grew up, uh, he became a rabbi, a rabbi in a synagogue in Burbank, California. And rather late in his life and career, uh, Rabbi Zern accepted an assignment which uh, uh, caused him to go and study all the prophecies regarding the coming Messiah. And in his research, uh, it, he came to the book of Isaiah, where in chapter 7, verse 14, he read these words penned 700 years before Christmas. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. He kept reading, and he got to the place in Isaiah chapter 9, which we are studying today, and something happened. He read these words about how light would dawn on those living in the land of the shadow of death. He read that this light was a person in this prophecy, because it says, "...for unto us a child is born." To us, a son has been given. And as he read these words, this Orthodox rabbi says that he suddenly saw the light. And he knew that these words were fulfilled in the person of Jesus, the person that he was taught to despise. This was not only an intellectual realization. This was a spiritual experience. Zern sensed God speaking to him like never before. He felt an inner joy as, uh, as if he was stepping into the light. And he asked God to forgive him uh, through his belief in Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross for him. And Rabbi Zern experienced so much uh, peace that he felt confident enough 
to uh, go to his whole synagogue and, uh, and tell them about his delivery uh, and his discovery of Jesus as the Messiah. And he thought that he'd be able to convince some of them because it was so now completely obvious to him. Well, he was wrong. Uh, one Saturday, uh, soon after his announcement, Zern came to lead uh, worship at the synagogue and uh, his fellow uh, congregants had hired police and barred him from entrance and escorted him off the property. And Zern's wife and family uh, treated him as if he was dead. They even conducted a funeral for him. Zern was pressured to recant, but he would not deny Jesus because from the day he read Isaiah chapter 9, Isidore Zern had seen the light and Jesus saved him from the darkness of religion and the darkness of death itself. Despite these hardships, uh, Zern joyfully followed Jesus the rest of his life until he entered eternity uh, some years ago and saw the light of his Savior face to face. How about you? Have you stepped out of the darkness of religion and stepped into the light of a relationship with God? Have you stepped out of the darkness of the fear of death itself and into the light of true life found only in a relationship with God? When you receive God's forgiveness, you can live in the light of this relationship with God. But until you do, you are still in the darkness. And if that's where you are today, then listen to Jesus right now as he calls you into the light. Let's talk to God. If you'd like to uh, step into a relationship with God in the light, uh, that process usually starts with saying something to God from your heart in prayer. So if you want to step into the light, uh, then there's no magic words, but say something like this, not out loud, just between you and God. Say, God... I'm in the dark right now, but I want to come into your light. So I ask you to forgive me through my faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross for me. And even though our relationship with God starts with secret words from your heart, uh, God says you, you can't be a secret believer. And so... If you just prayed that prayer, would you come up to one of those who are up here in the front after this service, uh, the women uh, and men of prayer here in the front, or come to me and just tell us that you, uh, you prayed that prayer today. God, we thank you for uh, shining your light into this world to save us from religion and save us from darkness. Jesus, thank you for giving yourself for us so that we could have this relationship with the Father that changes everything.